Hey, good morning, good people. Hey, uh, don't you love our choir and our worship band? Give them a hand, man. They do, they do an, an amazing job, an amazing job. That's a, talking about gifts, that's a gift I definitely do not have. You don't want to meet, you don't want to hear me doing that. Hey, uh, we're in week three of uh, the series we call The Perfect Gift, and uh, I have the privilege of talking about the gift of myrrh, and we're talking about the three gifts that the wise men brought. And uh, I was talking about uh, wise men with my mom uh, when I was up in Michigan uh, this past week following her surgery. And I was reminded what Lance told you. Most of you remember this probably a couple weeks ago. He talked about how the wise men weren't really at the birth of Jesus. So he blew up your nativity scenes. If you remember that, he said, if you want to take your wise men out of your nativity scenes, put them in the kitchen. And you can have them moving closer to the nativity scene during Christmas. And uh, the Bible does say that Jesus was a child when the wise men came. So we believe he was one to two years old. And I was telling my mom about that. She uh, asked me what I was preaching on. I said, the wise men. And, um, and she said, well, Fred, she said, you know, if the wise men would have been women, they would have asked for directions and they would have been there on time. I was like, wow. I'm like, okay. So you know a little bit about why I am how I am. The apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. So there you have it. Hey, I want to get right into our theme verse for this series. It's in Matthew 2.11. You can look it up. It'll be on the screen. But Matthew 2 verse 11 says this. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother. Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. Um, God, it's so powerful. The truth in your word and the inspiration from your Holy Spirit, um, Lord, it uh, strikes awe in us when we begin to understand it. I pray that you speak clearly through it today. Lord, help me to stay out of the way. May this message be clear and powerful to everybody listening today. Interpret my words, Lord, and, and the words from Scripture to every heart in this place. I just simply asked, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you in this place today, and that all of heaven would celebrate, Lord, for this good news. Praise all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. As I said, I'm talking about the gift of myrrh, and it's an interesting one with, with a plot twist. But before we get into that, I have a question for you. Have you ever been given the perfect gift? Have you ever had that feeling of when you can't wait for that, that gift that you know is under the tree maybe as a child and you've asked for it and you, it looks like it and you can't wait to unwrap it or hold it in your hands or, or maybe, ladies, you're waiting for an engagement ring and you finally saw a little box, and, and, but do you remember that time? Well, my wife and I had the privilege of, of viewing that in a movie. Some of you probably are familiar with the Santa Claus movies, Tim Allen. They're kind of old, but we splurged $3.79 to watch Santa Claus the first one um, on Amazon Prime, and then got suckered into paying another $3.99 to watch Santa Claus 2. Now, spoiler alert, but you may have already seen this, and, and so this probably isn't news to, to a whole lot of you, but uh, in that Santa Claus 2, um, Tim Allen is at the most boring school faculty Christmas party known to man. He's there with his, what he hopes soon to be Mrs. Claus, and she's a principal, and he's got to try to save the day. So he uses the last bit of Christmas magic that he has to drag this big bag full of personalized gifts out from backstage, and he starts handing them out. And he hands one beautifully wrapped present to this older gentleman. He opens it, and it's toss across. He's like, toss across? Yeah, I can't believe it. So I'm curious. I want to see a raise of hands. Who knows what toss across is? Okay, all right, thank you. All right, I don't feel too bad. So it's like cornhole, but tic-tac-toe. 
You throw bean bags and you gotta, and then the next guy gets even a cooler gift. Rock'em, sock'em, robots. So again, raise the hands, right. So you, you mash these some buttons and these robots go like this, and if you jack the guy in the jaw, his head pops up and you win. It's the most incredible thing. So I had a perfect gift that I wanted when I was six or seven years old. And uh, it was the Tyco 440 Magnum slot car racetrack. Because, and the TV said this and the ad said it, it was the world's number one racing system. It said it on TV, so it had to be true. So I needed it, and I let my mom know. So when she said, Fred, what do you want for Christmas? I said, 440 Magnum Racetrack. What else do you want? 440 Magnum Racetrack. What do you want in your stocking? 440 Magnum. I circled ads, I left it on the table, put it in their bathroom. For you trivia masters out there, Ralphie says Red Rider BB gun 28 times in the Christmas Story movie. I'm sure I said at least 28 times. I may say it 28 times in this sermon, but guess what I got for Christmas? I got the 440 Magnum racetrack. And the old racetracks that I had, they would slide sideways and get off the little wires. You had to push them, a really needy toy. You had to push them back on the track. Not the 440 Magnum, they were magnetized to the track. They're like flying around until they like fly off the track and hit the wall. It was the perfect gift. Can you imagine like Jesus getting three perfect gifts? How lucky is that? How exciting is that? So a couple weeks ago was gold. Imagine what his parents felt. Give them the gift of gold. They knew it was a sign of the king, and it's worth a lot. Like, so proud. And then they got the gift of frankincense. And his lance, so clearly taught last week, it was in every grain offering that was offered. It was a sign that Jesus had always been the true high priest. How proud they must have been. The highest ranking position in uh, the Jewish faith. So, so proud to just even imagine and, and think through what, what, might that, what might that be. What about myrrh? What do you know about myrrh? What, what did that symbolize? I mean, the other two were powerfully prophetic and meaningful. Surely the third one is as well. So what, what was myrrh? Well, it's a, I looked it up, it's a, it's a gum resin extracted from these thorny trees of the comifora, if I'm saying that's right, comifora species. And it was used historically for medicine and for perfumes um, and for incense. But, but what, did it, what did it really mean to Mary and Joseph and, and the baby Jesus? Um, what was the, the significance of it? Um, why was it a perfect gift? You know, I debated, do I share this early in the message or do I kind of build up to this and, and talk about some other things and bring you to it? Um, I'm going to jump right into this and then talk to you about why this is so pivotal and how powerful this gift was um, prophetically and historically and looking forward. The other two gifts look back. Jesus has always been the king of kings and the true high priest. This is the only gift that looks forward. So... Brace yourselves. John 19, 38 to 40, and let's see how myrrh was used. John 19, 38 to 40. This is afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. 
he brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. Myrrh was pointing to Jesus' death. Can you imagine? The treasure chest opens, wise men get down, they hand him gold. Oh, he's gonna be, he's a king, we know he's, he's powerful. Frankincense, always been a true high priest. What did the, the wise men's face even look like when he handed them myrrh? Did Mary know? That was Jewish custom. They knew, they knew what myrrh pointed to and what it meant. Myrrh was, was the perfect gift, but it, it might have been the worst gift of all. You know, it's almost like giving young couple formaldehyde or, or, or even a casket. Your baby's going to die. This feels, even preparing for it, it's a Christmas story, it's a Christmas message, but it's not, it's not a cute Christmas story in, in this regard. But this is the victory, this is the ultimate celebration, the ultimate sacrifice. But it is heavy. Preparing for it felt a little bit more like a, a Good Friday service leading into Easter. Um, but how powerful is that, that they knew that? It's the Christmas surprise. Baby Jesus was prepared for death. And, and the truth is, you can't look down at Jesus in the manger without looking up at him on the cross. That is part of the full story. It's part of why God brought him into the Bible. And it, it's part of Christmas. So if you're a bit surprised by this, you're not alone. Maybe you've known this for a long time. You know, yep, I knew myrrh was, was part of the embalming process. I've known that. Um, but, but still, yeah, that is a surprise when the other gets. But if you're not kind of shocked by this, I've known this for a long time as well. But even as I'm preparing, this still rocks me a little bit. Thinking about the whole setting, the angels coming to the shepherds and, and what was happening with Mary and Joseph and, and all the celebration. But then you have this. In the moment, in that time, it's still, it's still shocking. It's still just a little bit surprising. How did the wise men know? They knew where he would be born from Scripture. I believe that God revealed this to them. He knew that he would be a king. They knew that he would be a true high priest. And he knew that he was destined to die for his people. Did Mary know? I had a conversation with someone this morning, you know, the, the whole song, Mary, did you know? Like, oh, I hate that song. And, and where, where was she? In Luke 1, we learn that the angel says, he will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. His kingdom will last forever. Well, that sounds great. In Luke 2, Simeon, prophetically, says, many will oppose him. A sword will pierce your very soul. You know, after the angels came to the shepherds and the shepherds came at Jesus' birth and they, and they all left, it says that Mary thought often about these things. In one version it says, she pondered these things in her heart. So Mary, seeing all this and, and dwelling on all this, I have to believe that she thought often about the angels and she thought often about the gold, the frankincense. And I gotta think she thought often about the myrrh. What exactly does that mean? What about his disciples, his closest followers? 
Surely they knew the story. They knew the gifts he got and, and were there with, with him during his ministry. Were they surprised? Did they see this coming? Did they anticipate this? Did they expect that? Well, let's, let's take a look. Luke 18, 31 to 34 is a reference of the disciples' reaction to Jesus telling them. Luke 18, verses 31 to 34. So it says, taking the 12 aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans and he will be mocked, treated shamefully and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. Pretty clear. Pretty clear prediction of what's going to happen. Verse 34, but they didn't understand any of this. They knew of the myrrh. They had to have. They had to know prophecies. And then Jesus tells them plainly, but they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words was hidden from them, and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. So the significance of, of his words was hidden from them. So I, I don't think God like intentionally kept them from understanding. I think, like me, quite often, I think they're distracted from the real meaning. They are focused on the earthly kingdom of Jesus and the powerful kingdom and being a part of that. And at Christmas time, I, and maybe you as well, get focused on the celebrations of Christmas and the family times and, and the music and all those things are great. But we can't forget the significance of this. So here's another reference. It gets worse. Matthew 16, 21 to 23. Take a look at that. Matthew 16, 21 to 23. <laughs> It says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Can you imagine taking the creator of the universe aside? John 1 says that all things were created through Jesus. Nothing was created. Nothing exists that wasn't created through Jesus. All these miracles he did, he walked on water, and Peter's like, Jesus, no, no. You don't, you don't understand. That's never going to happen to you. And probably the firmest rebuke from Jesus toward anybody, get away from me, Satan. Don't want to be that guy. Get away from me, Satan. You see things merely from a human perspective. We can't get caught up in seeing things from merely a human perspective. Things on this earth are, are temporary. And these things about Jesus are eternal. They're eternal and powerful. So would they know the prophecies? Would they know what the Old Testament says about Jesus? Let's, let's uh, take a look at uh, the fact that Jesus is a perfect sacrifice and there's no other sacrifice that could have fulfilled every element of prophecy like Jesus did. Baby Jesus was a perfect sacrifice. Let's look at some of the scriptures that foretold what was going to happen. Isaiah 53, 5 to 9. Turn in the Old Testament with me to Isaiah 53, verses 5 to 9. 
says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. You know, the Christmas purpose is that baby Jesus was destined to die. And we know that from Old Testament scripture. You know, this, this was predicted, written about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Now, I want to take a look at some of these prophecies. And these are just a few of what we call the messianic prophecies. The prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah. There are many, many more that Jesus fulfilled. So I don't want you to think this is an exhaustive list. But um, it still is a little overwhelming. Let's go ahead and put that, that table up on the screen. And you guys can see the Old Testament prophecies. Here we go. In um, the New Testament fulfillment and uh, the prophecy that was spoken about in the scripture that we just read. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says that he was pierced for our rebellion. In John 19 verse 34, we're not going to read all these, but we learn that the Roman soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear after he had died. Same verse, Isaiah 53 verse 5. He was whipped so he could be healed. Matthew 27 verse 26 talks about Pilate having Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Isaiah 53, 7, he remained silent. Matthew 27, 12 to 14, different occasions, Jesus never answered his accusers. He kept his mouth shut. Isaiah 53, verse 8, he died without descendants. In Matthew 27, verse 50, learned that he gave up his spirit. He died. We know he died on the cross. He wasn't married. He had no children. 15, 53, verse 9b, he was buried like a criminal. In Luke 23, we read that he died on the cross between two criminals, one on his left and one on his right. And then 53, 9c, um, says that he was put in a rich man's grave. And in Matthew 27, 57 to 60, we read about Joseph of Arimathea, like we did in the John scripture. And uh, it says there that he was a rich man and that he was put in that grave. And all these predictions of Jesus were fulfilled and uh, Jesus is truly um, the perfect fulfillment of all those scriptures. No one fulfilled scripture. No one could have fulfilled all the scriptures like Jesus did. There's no one on earth that could have done that. He was the perfect one. So why is this important? What do we do with this? When we think about the gift of myrrh, and I think how pivotal that is between the Old Testament predictions and these wise men coming from far away, giving Jesus these three gifts. Gold, frankincense, myrrh is a pivotal connection between the Old Testament predictions and prophecies and pointing forward to what's going to happen on the cross where Jesus gives up his life so that we can all have new life and, and have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. Without that sacrifice, I mean, Jesus' life is he's a great prophet, he's a great teacher, but without that sacrifice, it's powerless. And with that sacrifice and the resurrection makes myrrh a, a, a pivotal key gift. So what do we do with that? What is our response to the fact that Jesus is a perfect sacrifice? 
Turn to 1 Thessalonians with me. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 to 10. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 and 10. God's plan. It's amazing. I love it. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live forever. God chose to give us his perfect gift. He chose to give us his perfect sacrifice. So what do we do in response this Christmas? What things do you think about when you think, how do I respond to God's perfect gift? You know, let's look at the verses right after Jesus reprimanded Peter. Go with me to Matthew 16, verse 24. We read Matthew 16 through verse 23 before, where Peter took Jesus aside and, and said, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen. And this is the verse immediately following when Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. He looks at his disciples. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Now when he says you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me, we, we could have a, a sermon, a whole series on what it means to take up your cross. But it's pretty obvious to me what it means to give up my own way. I don't know about you, but at the core of most of my sin is just a selfishness, just a, just a deep selfishness. And so when I think about what we can give up and what we need to turn away from in order to give Jesus everything in response to what he's done for us, I just think of, of baby Jesus being the perfect savior. Baby Jesus is our perfect savior. So let me ask you this. What will you join me in sacrificing for Jesus this Christmas? When you think about sacrificing for Jesus, what can you sacrifice for Jesus this Christmas? You know, if you're here, you've never taken that step to truly give Jesus your heart and to truly make him the leader and savior of your life, uh, maybe it's time, like I had to, put my will and my stubbornness aside and realize that, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. This prediction of Jesus coming as Messiah the King, he truly is the Son of God. It's time for you to, to turn your heart over to him, and I'd love to talk to you about that. When I think about sacrificing for Jesus, I, I think about sitting in the pew over here at the end of October, and I was sitting next to our friend from Ukraine, the missionary, and now Lance was up here talking about the importance of forgiving. And I'm just thinking about him serving in Ukraine and, and TCI prepares pastors and lay leaders to go into places where it's illegal to become a Christian. And you all know the, the, the war of Russia and Ukraine, and I leaned over to uh, Sergei, and I said, man, I can't imagine how difficult this has got to be for you. I can't imagine how difficult that idea of, of forgiving has got to be for you. And he said, yeah, imagine, and he just didn't hesitate, and this is a man of, of strong faith. And he said, imagine people coming in and destroying your home, taking everything you own, killing a couple of your children. That's not an exaggeration. He didn't lose his own children, but he, he saw a lot of that. His wife and child moved to Poland, went to France for several months, and he's thinking through all these things. He said, imagine that happening. He said, and they're not sorry. 
When I think about sacrificing, I think about how comfortable my life is. And, and what have I really given to this king who chose to die for me? What have I really given in response? So we think about sacrificing, think about that concept of forgiving. Is there someone this year for Christmas that you gotta give up the right to be right and make that relationship more important? Is there someone in your family, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, that you need to, to set those differences aside and be reconciled? Let that be your sacrifice for Jesus this year. You think, well, that, that's not that big a deal. It is a big deal. Jesus talks a whole lot about the relationship between us and God, but that horizontal beam of the cross of our relationships with other people is critical to us truly turning our lives over to Jesus Christ. So I challenge you today to consider putting your will aside, taking steps to make that relationship right. You'll probably be with them around Christmas. You'll probably see them. And if not, you can reach out to them. Maybe writing a letter is better. Maybe God's calling you to, to sacrifice financially. Now you, you saw the Christmas offering video. That, that's one option. But maybe God's really blessed you this year. And he's challenging you to sacrifice to, to help the food pantry be able to supply the food for the people in our community or to, to meet the needs of the special needs kids and young adults at Camp Joy in Belize. I encourage you and challenge you to really think about what will you sacrifice this year in response to what God has given you with the perfect sacrifice in baby Jesus. You all pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. Dear God, uh, I thank you for the, the power of the gift of myrrh. I thank you, Father, for the predictions. Lord, that uh, Jesus came as a baby, but he was destined to be our savior and to give his life for us. And uh, God, we just thank you and praise you for that. Lord, I pray that you lead us as we think deeply about what you've called us to give. Lord, show us how we can sacrifice for you. Change our hearts, Lord, to be more like yours. Teach us, Lord, to walk in the, the steps of Jesus and to sacrifice, Lord, the way he did. Praise on Jesus' name, amen.